Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The book of Joshua gives the account of how God led His people into the Promised Land. Though they continued to display a lack of faith in God, He remained faithful to the promise He made to Abraham and his descendants. Let's join Pastor Ross now as he guides us through the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 12 for tonight's Bible study. At least where we're going to start, Joshua 12. And you can join me with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your great love and your grace. We, we sense that you're with us tonight. You have good plans for us, kind intentions. Even when our consciences accuse us, Lord, you are greater than our hearts and you know all things. And what you know is, is that those sins are paid for, that we belong to you. So thank you, Father, for your wonderful love that makes us whole and surpasses knowledge. We ask you now, Holy Spirit, to open the eyes of our understanding that we might hear what your Spirit is saying and uh, grasp that truth and put it into practice in our lives so that we could be blessed and be doers of the word, not just hearers. In Jesus' name, amen. There's great spiritual lesson in that frequently used uh, illustration from the way that World War II ended, D-Day, June 6, 1944. Let me quote from an article. In the early morning hours, Allied forces, America, Canada, and Britain, landed in Normandy on the north coast of France to liberate Europe from a Nazi-German occupation In an operation that took months of planning, a fleet of 2,727 ships of every description converged from British ports from Wales to the North Sea. Operation Overlord, as it was called, involved 2 million tons of war materials, including more than 50,000 tanks, armored cars, jeeps, trucks, and um, other military items. The U.S. alone sent 1,700,000 fighting men. The Germans believed the invasion would not take place under the adverse weather conditions of this early June day, but as the sun came up that morning, American parachutists were falling, and by nightfall, the landing of 155,000 soldiers were in, and the war was as good as one. D-Day kind of stands for the day, or some say decision day, uh, had happened. Now, however, there were still major battles ahead, some very fierce and some very deadly, um, even though that the war was really um, decided already, it wouldn't be until May 8th nearly a year later, that uh, the official surrender by Germany would happen, and it's called V-Day. So about 11 months uh, separate the two days. Uh, Adolf Hitler had committed suicide a month earlier in the Battle of Berlin, and the power of the Nazis was broken. So on V-Day, or V-E-Day, Victory in Europe Day, the war was formally over. No. And so it is here, too, in Canaan, here in Joshua 11. We celebrated D-Day last week. When the last verse of that chapter 11, here in the conquest of Canaan, told us it was done. Verse 23 that we looked at last week, Joshua took the entire land, just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. And so it was all done. D as in done, D as in day, D as in not yet. 
D is in already, but not quite yet. The war is over, but there will be battles to fight. And not every part of the land had been taken. Majority of it, the power of the Canaanites had been broken. And Israel was in the land. Salvation really occurred. And now there's a working out of their salvation with fear and in trembling. And, of course, that's going to be the spiritual uh, application that we're going to talk about tonight. So a milestone of epic proportions has happened here in Joshua 11 and now Joshua 12. And we're here. Uh, God had brought to pass a 400-year-old promise to Abraham, the father of the Jews, the progenitor of the Jewish people, before any Jew was born. God said in, in Genesis 15 to Abraham, know for certain that your descendants, not yet even born, will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish that nation. They serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants, not even born, Isaac is not on the scene yet, your descendants will come back here in the fourth generation uh, for the sin of the Amorites, the people who were around Abraham at the time the Lord is speaking to him, the sin of the Amorites has not yet f- reached its full measure. In other words, I'm not done striving with these people, but 400 years, their sins will come to fruition, and my judgment will fall, and I will bring your descendants back, and they will occupy this land as an inheritance. And you remember, they went down 70 strong there in Genesis 46 into Egypt, and by Exodus chapter 12, they emerge with God's help, two million strong. God punished indeed that nation that enslaved them with 10 plagues and then led them, as he said, on eagles' wings to this land that we just read about having now been conquered. He miraculously went before them, and it's just an amazing thing to see them now in the land. It just, from where they started, uh, God parting seas for his people and unparting them for the enemy in hot pursuit, allowing the enemy to come in after them. Their wheels on the chariots getting stuck at the Lord's command, the wheels of their chariots falling off and entrapping them in the mire there, and then unparting the sea upon them. The bread from heaven, bread from heaven, water from a rock, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, that followed them. A rock followed them and gushed out water for these people. A pillar of fire to lead them, to guide them, to keep them warm at night a cloud covering by day to keep the the scorching sun from them, to protect them as well. Sandals, cooler than any Nikes that you could ever have. These are sandals that never get worn out. He said they're clothes, they're sandals. And I love in Deuteronomy 8 where it says, while he's bringing them into this land, that their feet wouldn't swell or blister He just made everything easy for his people because they were going to the land that he was going to give them as an inheritance. God himself pitching his tent in the middle of all of their tents. There he was as a symbol of where we're ultimately heading toward the end of the world where God will pitch his tent as it were dwelling among men, men with God, the ultimate uh, spiritual fulfillment of what is going on here. Oh, I just started uh, There's uh, just marveling at what God did for his people. And of course, we too are his people. I love 2 Samuel 7.23. And who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. David, Psalm 8, who am I? 
Who are we? I mean, we, we have even more profound reasons to rejoice uh, being the bride of Christ and co-heirs with Jesus. Everything that Jesus stands to inherit, the Son of God, he says we are co-heirs with him. Now, it's just an amazing thing. And here they are. They have this inheritance. He's guiding them. He's protecting them. Supernatural provision and victory over every enemy. And the only thing that can wreck it is themselves in disobedience. It's if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, Deuteronomy 28, Moses' last sermon to them. If you just obey and do what he says to do, he says, God will set you high above all nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you just obey the Lord your God. Jesus had similar words. He said in Luke chapter 11, verse 28. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Romans 8, if God be for us, look what he did for these people. He does the same for us. They're pictures of blessings for us as well. If God is for us, who could be against us? It's you who could be against you. That's it. That's the only person working any power against you is yourself. And so we just pray. I remember being a baby Christian, maybe a few months old in the Lord, and this older lady sitting next to me in the pews there at Christian Life Center in Santa Cruz. And after the service, she looked in my face, and to this day, remember so vividly her saying, uh, at the time you could call me Sonny, all right, at the time, it was a long time ago, Sonny, she said, just, just, you, son, Listen, every morning I want you to pray. And she's so, she was 80 years old. She says, I want you to ask the Lord for a willing spirit. Ask him to change your heart to make it want to obey. Because if you don't want to obey, you're going to have trouble obeying. But God can heal your heart and change your mind and give you a willing spirit that wants to do the right thing rather than the wrong thing. So that's the only thing that stands in the way is your heart and your desires. Trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. It was true in 1887, and it's still true today. Well, I'm moving towards something. I'm eventually going to get there. Hold on. Now, in all of this, on their way to the promised land, may the good Lord have mercy on your sorry soul if you stood in the way of his people and his plan. And we saw that. The Amalekites said, well, we'll take position number one. We'll be fools number one. And so they came at them, and down like a steamroller, they're gone. And then the powerful Amorites in the hill country, they said, you know, uh, maybe it was just, they just got lucky, and so we'll, we'll try. You know, then they go down, and all the kings with them, the Jordan parts, The walls of God rejecting Jericho fall. Next, the idol-worshiping city of Ai is ambushed. Next, the five wicked king coalition. They all get together. They're wiped out. The five kings hiding. Joshua, Yeshua calls the five kings out. They execute them. And then finally, last week, bringing us up to our context, finally, this massive demonically inspired group effort to destroy Israel from the southern and northern territories. They all unite, and what we saw last week, done. Bible says, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, supreme authority, to the praise and honor and glory to God the Father, Those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, this includes. And we saw that. And and it's so sad that these uh, kings and these people harden their hearts because in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11, as I've quoted to you many times, the Lord says, As surely as I live, the Lord says, I take no delight 
in the death of the wicked. Rather, I would that they turn from their wicked ways and live. And then I'm still quoting, why will you die? Why will you die? Instead, rather turn and live. It is God's will that all men come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. Second Timothy chapter two, verse four. Second Peter verse chapter three, verse nine. The Lord's will. He is not willing that any perish, but that all come to him and have eternal life. And so we see that it's just their will. They harden their hearts and um, turned away from the living God. So uh, the, the, here we are, chapter 12. Take a look at verse 1. These are the kings of the land whom the Israelites had defeated and whose territory they took over. Look at verse 24, 31 kings in all. So that will be the fastest chapter I've ever taught in the history of the rock. Because all it is is a list of the kings that Israel defeated. Now I want you to realize this. The word kina, we talked about it, alluded to it last week. The Hebrew means to be humbled, to be subdued, to be brought down, to be brought into subjection. The word kina. So the word Canaanites mean people who have been humbled, people who have been subjected to a higher power. That is what their name means. And so the difference between the Canaanites who have now been humbled and brought low, that's what they're mean. Ites is people, the brought down low ones, the Canaanites have been replaced now with Israelites, which means conquered by God. The only difference between a Canaanite who is subjected by God's power and an Israelite who is conquered by God's power, they both mean the same thing. But the Canaanite was forced to repent. The Israelite, the true Israelite, willingly allows God to conquer him or her. That is the distinction between all people, two kinds of people. Those, both kinds will be conquered. The Canaanites in this world will be to their last breath opposing God and he will humble them. The Israelite, the true believer, and it says in Romans chapter 4 that it's not the Jews are not just biological, but anybody who has the faith of Father Abraham is a descendant spiritually of Father Abraham because you believed like Abraham believed. He was justified by faith, and so shall you be justified by faith. But those who come to Christ in faith and surrender, as Psalm 2 says, kiss the son on your way, lest he, be, lest he become angry and destroy you in your way, you see, to make peace. And we saw that the Gibeonites made peace with Joshua, Yeshua. And Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute as well. And so it's just, it's just a marvelous thing that God gives us a choice. Now, with this rather lengthy introduction, we've finished chapter 12 already. That's amazing, isn't it? I'm so psyched about that. You know how long it takes me to finish a chapter. The first half of Joshua is now done. Section one, there are two sections of Joshua. The conquest of Canaan, chapters 1 through 12, and the allotment of the inheritance. Now they're in the land, now they've got to divvy it up, and they've got to subdue it to its uh, uttermost parts. He says, I'm going to give each tribe this much land, you've got to go in and take it and settle it and make it yours. Chapters 13 through 24, to the end of the book is the allotment of the inheritance, okay? So now we have made a significant shift. We're done with the conquering of the land, and now it's time to inherit and divvy up the inheritance, all right? Now I'm going to do something a little bit different. 
Turn to Joshua 21. You think it was fast through chapter 1. Put your finger in Joshua 21 because it's the close of this section that we have now entered. Chapter 13 to chapter 21 is 95% geography. It's a list of places and boundary lines. That's what it is. 95% is just list after list, verse after verse of places that mean very little to us and are very tedious. Now, I'm taking my cue from a lot of my favorite Calvary Chapel teachers and, and outside of Calvary Chapel. And what they do and what a lot of commentators do is sum up chapters 13 to 21. And here's how I'd like to do it. Let's take the closing verse of the section of chapter 21, which is 43. This is the the end of the whole section, okay? So the Lord, verse 43, So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their forefathers, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he has sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Now, let's look at some spiritual lessons from this section Because in the 5% narrative that's mixed in there, there are some really good spiritual insights for us who have been given an inheritance. On the day that you converted to Christ, the Holy Spirit came in, the war was won, it was D-Day, and you were given an inheritance. And God, and only God knows how much land he gave you to possess. And all of us have different callings and gifting and ability and different parameters that we are supposed to take and make our own. And and in that, there are battles to be fought. And, you know, you've seen the bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins. I'm changing that to he who dies with the most land taken, not on your own, but God knows the parameters for you, and you need to, by cooperating with him and his spirit, to fight the good fight, to duke it out against the world and the flesh, the sinful nature, and the devil. That is the race you've been given, set before you. You have an inheritance. And the Bible says that, you know, uh, peace that passes understanding, love that casts out all fear, a joy that's independent of circumstances. This is what you've been given. Self-control, brotherly kindness, generosity. Those are fruits of the spirit that lives in you. And you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It starts at the prayer. When you come into Christ, it is not the finish line. It is not a, shoo, I've made it out of hell. I'm going to be fine. And boy, I'm safe, praise God. And now I go out and do my own thing. It's the, it's the starting block, the sinner's prayer. It's D-Day only you can still get really messed up and hurt. You can get killed early. You'll make it to heaven because D-Day happened. Decision's been made. You're going. But millions of Christians will get there and have fallen short of taking the land and fighting and being diligent and zealous. And that's what this is all about. There are three things. Let's just talk about them really quickly. I'm already running low on time. The first one is uh, verse 43. The Lord gave them land. The second one is the Lord gave, gave them rest. Verse 44 and verse 45. And the Lord keeps his promises. So he gave them land. He gave them rest. And he keeps his promises. Let's look at this 
that way. So if you don't mind, go ahead and flip back to chapter 13. As we consider God gives the inheritance. Verse 1. When Joshua was old and well advanced in years, I love this part, the Lord said to him, you're very old. (laughs) (laughs) And there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. Hmm. This is the land that remains, and he lists them specifically. Verse 6, follow me. As for all the inhabitants of the mountain regions, I myself will drive them out before the Israelites Be sure to allocate this land to Israel for an inheritance as I have instructed you and divide it as an inheritance among the nine tribes and a half of the tribe of Manasseh. So we see that it's DJ, but I love that. Do you see that? He says, look, conquest is done, but listen, there's still a lot of land to take. You have to still be working. It's not done. The Christian life is over, my friend, when you're looking eyeball to eyeball with Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. When your body has been changed into the glorious body like his, when you fully know as you are fully known, when the trumpet sounds and we're out of this body and things are changed, that, my friend, is the, that's a V-day, <laughs> But until then, you have work to do. You've been given a stewardship that you will stand before God. And will say, let's talk about how you did. Not about how you earned your salvation because that was a gift. It was an inheritance. But how did you do with possessing what I gave to you? How did you steward that? And we're going to talk about that. Uh, Remember, the New Testament equivalent of the book of Joshua is Ephesians, our spiritual inheritance in Christ. And it doesn't uh, surprise me that in chapter 6, it closes with the greatest call to arms in the New Testament. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you could take your stand. And after having done everything to stand, stand firm then with the breastplate of righteousness in place, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, even the sandals fitted with the readiness to preach the gospel of peace. Why does that come in a book that tells you all about your spiritual blessings in Christ? Because you have to walk it out and fight the good fight. You have to put on the armor and make those things happen in cooperation with the Holy Spirit who gives you the ability to do it. You can't do it. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. But if by the power of the Holy Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. That's the way we learn, to cooperate with the power of the Holy Spirit, to make what God has given me, not to claim something, some greedy thing that I want. That's not what we should be claiming. We should be claiming our inheritance to be able to deny myself and pick up the cross and follow him. Why aren't these faith teachers claiming that one? That is the most important uh, principle to to make us able to enjoy our inheritance. Get self out of the way. Pick up your cross. Die to things that are inconsistent with God's will for your life. And stay close to him and follow him. I claim that, Lord. I claim that piece piece that passes understanding. I claim that perfect love that casts out all fear. I claim the ability to forgive you when I don't want to forgive you. He says, forgive others as you have been forgiven in the Lord. Help me to cover over a multitude of sins with love. and Help me to consider others more important than myself. These are all spiritual details, just like uh, chapters 13 to 21. Detail, 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 detail. We're just like... uh, Bored because those names don't mean anything, but there are a lot of detail there, just like the New Testament and the Old Testament for us 
telling us how to get our inheritance. Don't trust in your own self. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. There's a thousand details given to us and how we can inherit our blessings. Fifty-five commands in James alone. Detail, 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 detail. If someone strikes you here and insults you here, turn around. It doesn't, don't make a big deal about it. If someone wants to make you go a mile, go too. There's so many details that are so important for us to see because it's not over. There's a lot going on. He says, uh, for us to avoid sexual immorality, to keep control of our thoughts, whatever things are true and good and right and noble and just and pure and worthy of praise, let your mind think on these things and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. These are all details given to us, just like 13 to 21. Here are the details. Here's what you have to do to make this land that I just gave you for free that you could never have gotten on your own. But this is the way to walk it out and enjoy what I've given you. All of those details are what all the little verses that have just been coming to my head that we have to, to keep in mind. D-Day, Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. V-Day, when Christ returns. The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. V-Day, victory. No more death, no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain. For the former things have passed away, done. D-Day has given way to V-E-Day, and Christ is reigning on the throne. I like what he tells Joshua. He says, you're old, but there's still work to do. We never retire. I'm in the greatest position, job position possible for aging because you just can keep hanging on as long as you possibly can. And the more you grow old in the Lord, the more you have something to say, or you should anyway. No Christian really retires. He's saying, Josh, you're old, but there's a ton left to do. Let's get busy and get doing it. And so it's so exciting to see that even Joshua, you know, he's just saying, listen, it's not over. You still got habits. You're still lazy. You're still prone to wander. Let's work on these things. Even though I've known the Lord 30 years, I fought today. I fought today. You must be fighting every day or you will lose ground. It's D-Day. It's time to work hard with the help of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, so that is what's going on in the spiritual application for all of that detail. The second thing in our summary verse is that they got rest on every side. Uh, Verse 44 of chapter 21 said, um, Now, the most attractive benefit besides the love of God for me is the peace that that fills our hearts. In Hebrew, the shalom peace, it's a peace the world cannot give. It's a feeling of, of wholeness or wellness, that everything's okay. And he says that that peace is for you alone. It's your inheritance. Psalm 29, 11, the Lord blesses his people with peace. If you are not belonging to the Lord, you do not get that shalom peace. You can have that fake peace, but you'll never get the peace that comes from heaven. Isaiah 57 says, uh, speak peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord. I will heal my people, but the wicked are like the tossing of the sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. 
It's our legacy. It's your inheritance to have peace. He says, peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's my peace from heaven Jesus gives. And I know the world says on their bumper sticker, and I say this a lot, Lord, bless us all. You cannot tell God who to bless with peace. And he's only going to bless. I love what the angels sing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. They always leave off the last clause. Peace on earth to men upon whom his favor rests. That's grace. Those are his children who receive Christ. His favor does not rest on unbelievers, though he is kind to the righteous and the unrighteous as well. And his son goes up and his rains come down on their fields of the kind and the, and the ungrateful alike. But what hangs over the head of an unbeliever is not peace. It's the wrath of God. And that ought to motivate us to do a little sharing of our faith. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son shall not see life, and the wrath of God abides on him. John chapter 3, verse 36. Now, you may be thinking, I wonder how he knows so many Bible scriptures. (laughs) Or, I hope, Somebody was thinking, I wish I could do that. And I want to exhort you. The reason you can't do it is because you're not spending time in the Bible. That's the only reason. If you spent time reading the Bible and writing some verses down and carrying them in little note cards, you would be able to do what I've been doing all night. I've probably quoted to you a dozen scriptures. Those scriptures keep me safe. They keep me on the right path. They keep me motivated to keep taking the land. They keep me fresh to be able to be standing in the grocery store and I'm thinking about the Lord and I'm ready to be used by his Holy Spirit. I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. Spend time. Don't just have a fruitless thought. Boy, I wish I could do that. Well, I guess that's because you went to seminary. You know what? You could do that. You can do so much more than you think that you can do. The lies of the enemy is, is tries to limit you and saying, you've been apportioned this much land. Don't move. You're going to step over your borders <laughs> that God has given you. When in fact, he's given you spacious land and he's saying, boy, you have no idea. A horrible thought for me is to get to heaven and say, you know, Ross, I love you. You did a good job with these kinds of things. But let me show you, I did, you know, we did talk about this before. You remember, Ross, and, and I had this for you. That's a nightmare. And he's going to say that to people. And the reason I'm taking time to be so candid with you and kind of stray from my notes a little bit is I am your pastor. I don't want to see that happen to anybody in my sphere of influence. And you will be less inclined to do that if you're paying attention and the Holy Spirit is letting some of this get through to you. Amen? Rest on every side. It's my favorite. The Lord says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. There were three things really fast, honestly, really fast, that they did not uh, do that hindered their peace. Number one, in chapter 13, verse 13, you don't have to turn there. I'll just quote it for you. But the Israelites did not drive out the people of Geshur and Makkah, so they continue to live among the Israelites this day. We talked about this. Uh, They were given land, and he said, don't make treaties with them. You have to drive them out. And there were some people groups they let stay. 
And those people groups became great stumbling blocks. And we talked about this by saying, let me tell you exactly. David later married a princess from Geshur, King David. Geshur is a people group that should have been driven out. And his son Absalom was born of her in 2 Samuel 3. And Absalom returned to Geshur and used it as a place to plot against his father David in 2 Samuel 13. Just know this, all the little darling sins that we tolerate and don't have the gumption to be able to drive them out will spring up later somewhere and uh, destroy us and hinder our peace. Uh, Secondly, peace was hindered because they settled for less. You all remember uh, chapter 14, verse 3, brings up the two and a half tribes. So there were two and a half tribes that settled, as we talked about, we called them borderliner Christians, borderline believers. Uh, They settled on the eastern side of the Jordan. They said, look, we're happy here. We got pasture land, you know. Okay, Moses said, fine. If you're going to fight for us at the end of the seven years, you can go back, cross over the Jordan, and you guys can be your little isolated two and a half tribes. Unfortunately, they didn't have as much peace as everybody else because they were a buffer zone for Moab and some of the other uh, pagan uh, people groups that came after them. And so they were vulnerable to military attack and they had ungodly influences. And the last hindrance to peace uh, was the infighting among brothers. Uh, You don't have to turn there, but in this section, Joshua 17, 14 through 18, I'll read it to you. The people of Joseph said to Joshua, why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are numerous people, and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. If you are so numerous, Joshua said, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up to the forest and clear the land yourself. Now, the hindrance to peace is infighting. There's always a few siblings in God's family that are the troublemakers, Uh, These are, (laughs) Kevin laughed, (laughs) a pastor. (laughs) Yeah. You know about troublemakers? And, you know, every family has some troublemakers. And here were Manasseh and Ephraim. Uh, They think they're better than everybody else. Uh, They want special treatment. Um, They think that they are... They have one up on everybody else. They're very critical. They've caused a lot of problems for Joshua. Uh, In Gideon, Judges 8, they caused trouble in Joshua. In Judges, chapter 8, it serves me right for talking about how much of the Bible I know. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. I'm sorry. I don't know anything. I've been alive a long time. The Lord looked at me and he said, you know what, Ross? You're old. (laughs) In Judges chapter 8, these folks give Gideon a hard time. In Judges chapter 12, they give Jephthah a hard time. And in 2 Samuel 20, they're troublemakers with David. And so where you have selfish ambition, you have chaos in every evil practice as we studied in James chapter 316. So finally... All right, so they had peace on every side, and God wants to give you peace on every side, but there's stuff that hinders that. That's the point I was trying to make. And if we just obey him, and we don't think too more highly of ourselves than we ought, and we try to get along with one another, and that we fully obey him, and not make unholy alliances with our darling little unholy sins, Uh, that would be very helpful in the peace process to enjoy. The last point, and I'll just sum it up, the last thing in the summary statement was not one of God's good promises failed. Every last one was fulfilled. You remember in Genesis 49 when Father Jacob, who was named Israel, had his 12 boys come in on his deathbed, and in Genesis 49 he just started prophesying over each of them. All the things that he prophesied about them came to pass, as we've seen in our study. And he's saying, while all God's promises are good, not all of them are happy, because some of the promises that he gave to these boys and their land and their inheritance are kind of um, sad. 
And so, you know, there are good promises, happy promises about how I'll never leave you or forsake you. And there are promises like he who sows to the sinful nature will from the sinful nature reap destruction. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. And so, <laughs> and, and so there are happy promises, but that's a promise. He says, if you sin, you will die. Romans chapter 8. It just, just, the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6. I'm stopping. <laughs> but the wages of sin is death. Period. It's a promise. It's not one we like to, to, to have in our promise box. But uh, it's a promise none, none, nonetheless. Joshua is thinking of all the happy promises. The good. No good promise. And how about to you? He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll take care of, I'll provide all your needs. I'll protect you. I'm giving you eternal life. I'm helping you overcome when all the odds are stacked against you. These are all his promises and not one fails. And you will get to heaven and the same will be true. Not one of his promise will have ever failed anybody. His promises are good. It's because we mess up when things don't go well. It's, it's probably not God's doing. It's probably our doing. All God's promises are good. Not when it's failed. So what about Israel today? Israel today is still under God's promises. Israel was told, only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will the descendants of Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 36. The promises to Israel today, 8,000 square miles, as big as Massachusetts or New Jersey. That's as big as Israel is. The Arab world surrounding and hostile to Israel is 5 million square miles. They are saying, even tonight, we want, wish to wipe Israel off the map into the sea. The Lord says, not one of God's promises to you, Israel, will ever come up short. And even tonight, as Israel is amassing military strength at their Egyptian border in the desert, because the Egyptians have torn down their embassy, And even now with the president of Iran saying we have to nuke up the nuclear program because we want to wipe Israel into the sea. Not one of God's good promises to his people will fail. Paul says in Romans chapter 9, I want you to know that their partial hardening has come upon Israel so that the gospel could go to the world. He put them on a timeout. He's not dealing with them right now. And as the gospel goes, they're enemies to the gospel because they reject Jesus Christ. But Romans chapter 9, they are loved by God for the sake of the patriarchs. For these guys that we're talking about, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and and all of the 12, he promised to them that he would keep them and that they would be exalted among all the nations when that day that, that God comes back. Romans 9 verse 4 says, Israel has privileges. There's the adoption, there's the glory, there's the covenants, there's the giving of the law. And he says, theirs is the promises. Not one promise will fail. And so God will change their hearts when the church is taken out of the way. The great tribulation will start. An antichrist will rise and make a covenant and solve the Middle East problems and make a covenant with Israel. And in the middle of all that, he's going to sell Israel down the river and all hell breaks loose. And Romans chapter 11 says, and then all Israel shall be saved. And in the great tribulation, they have revival and they are light to the world and they become a Christ-honoring Christian nation before his great and glorious return. And when Christ returns, they are saved. They are his people. 
And so you, sitting there, thinking, must be nice to be chosen, to be an Israelite. The same blessing, in a more profound way, is yours. He foreknew you. It's the same word as he foreknew them in Christ. You have all of the same blessings and more. You will have more than they because you will reign and rule with Christ. They will not be the bride of Christ. They will have their blessings. But we, joined to Jesus Christ as his bride, rule and reign forever and ever with him. All his promises to you tonight are good. Test them. Obey him. Walk with him. Let him prove this. Let him help you take your land so that when you die and you see him or he comes back to meet us, you have no regrets. If you've lost a lot of ground, that's okay. You have tonight. And God can do miraculous things when a heart just changes and says, okay, I'm done playing games. I want more. And he'll give you more. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. And thank you, God, that you're the God of second chances. And and who has taken all the land? None of us. We've all fallen short. We all have... Lots left large areas of land to take, as you said there, to Israel and to Joshua. Help us to get a vision, to just buckle down and let your Holy Spirit do a work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.